Let me just get you thinking about this question of where would you like to see God work? Where would you like to see God work? So just gather that in your mind. And would you just, as you're thinking about it, just turn to your neighbor and just say, you know, this is a place I'd like to see God work. Just, just do it right now. Just take a minute or so. Just a real quick, where would you like to see God work? So we're, we're going to do this work in this next few moments of You only get one place. You get to see one place you get to see God work. So quit talking. All right. So we're going to do these, this, a little bit of work in these next few moments. And my hope and prayer during this time is that where, we, where our mind goes when we think about where we'd like to see work, uh, God work, it just get larger. And, and I don't know about you. You know, this morning at 5.15 in the morning, I was doing algebra with my ninth grade son. And, and it was like in that moment that it's like the little day-to-day things that feel so intense can, can begin to give me a smaller vision of what God wants to do in this city. And, and that stuff's important. And it will be a, another miracle that we'll report on if he makes a good grade on this algebra test today. <clears throat> but what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time just thinking about Elijah. One, one small por- uh, part out of the life of Elijah. So you're probably familiar with this story. It's 1 Kings chapter uh, 19 is where we're going to be. Sorry, 18. And I'm going to share with you in hopes that the spirit will stir your heart. So as you know, Elijah lived in the ninth century BC. He was a prophet. The first thing that God had Elijah do was to go to King Ahab and tell him it's not going to rain for a long time. So this was devastating to Ahab, and it was devastating to the land. But what was even more devastating was that the way that Ahab was leading and influencing people under the effect of his wife Jezebel to disobey God and to live immoral lives, that was even more devastating to the land. And so God paid attention to it. What's happening here during this time is that people are living unaware of the one true God, Yahweh. So the next part of the story after Elijah confronts Ahab, of course, you might remember, is that there's a showdown between the false gods of Baal and the one true God, Yahweh. God shows up with fire so that all the people come to see God as Yahweh. Well, this happens and it is awesome, but Elijah is still dissatisfied. Elijah knew that the people needed more than one evidence of Yahweh being powerful. Instead, the people needed an outpouring of God's presence to survive. They needed more than just one instance, one glimpse. And I hope that you can think of a way recently that you've seen God work in your home, in your church, in your community. But what we're going to begin talking about is this idea of like, God, we see you working, but what we're going to ask for is something larger. We're going to ask you to send the rain.
And we learn something here about how we get involved in this work of God. And of course, we're thinking about prayer. He models in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42, 43, and 44. He models this, this way of prayer that we're going to just think about. And so if you have your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42 and 44. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Would you do this? Would you stand to your feet in reverence for God's word? And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was great rain. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Three things that I want you to think about as we reflect on and ask the spirit to speak to us through these, three ver through these verses. The first one is not actually very well said, but it's the only way I can think of saying it, and that is pray disrupted. The idea here is that after this miracle of fire, everybody went to party and go about their normal lives. But Elijah allowed his life to be disrupted like all of us have for this week to be here in this way. We, he allowed his life to be disrupted to meet with God in prayer. One instance of God moving was not enough for Elijah. He's discontent. He's dissatisfied, which is so important as we Think about what it would be like to be a part of God pouring out his presence in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city. There has to be this, this sense of dissatisfaction within us that we allow to grow. He could have gone about his normal routine. I mean, people are thinking, yeah, hey, uh, Elijah is the man. I mean, he's obviously got something going on with this God of his He's proved that Yahweh God is more powerful than the God of Ahab. But he wants more. He wants the people to experience more fully that there is one God worthy of worship. First thing, pray disrupted. Second thing, pray humbly. Verse 42 he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. This is so important. Have you ever had an encounter or an experience where you were, you were just for whatever reason, like physically just folded? Do any of you have teenagers? Raise your hand if you have teenagers. I don't know about you, there are moments with them where you're just like, <sighs> like or, or do you ever hear a story about somebody that's hurting? You ever see somebody that's destroying their lives? You've said what you know to say, you've preached your heart out, 
you know, you've, you've included those two or three sentences in your sermon because you see them in the congregation and you know if they'll just listen to that, their lives will be restored. But in spite of that, you walk out and it, they're just unchanged. I don't know about you, but there have been multiple moments in recent months where I get to the place of desperation. Get to the place of just like, God, my physical posture is just like, I'm just before you. Like I literally can no longer stand up tall as a leader. This is what is happening with Elijah. He, he goes up to the mountain. He has this deep longing for the move of Yahweh among the people like they've never seen because he is dissatisfied with these people who refuse to worship the one true God. He goes up there and his posture becomes an outward expression of his inward reality. There is no more vulnerable, submissive, physical position than Elijah is in in this moment. He's bowed himself to the earth. He's put his face between his knees. He's vulnerable. If somebody were to come up and try to attack him, he's dead. He's praying disrupted. He's praying humbly. And third thing, he's praying persistently. I do have Baptist roots, but I don't typically use the first word like this kind of a rhythm in my sermon for the Baptists in the room. I hope you'll appreciate this. Pray disrupted, pray humbly, pray persistently. Verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. So here's Elijah. He's separated from the crowd. He did have this helper with him, which is so interesting. I don't know how the guy got the job, but it seems like a pretty neat job. He had just seen God do a miracle through Elijah, followed him to the mountain for this time of private prayer, this humble submission before Yahweh God. And Elijah prays, God, send rain. The servant goes up and he looks to see if God is answering. Nothing. Elijah prays twice more, God, send rain. The servant goes up to see if God is answering that prayer. Nothing. What is it like for you when you pray for something and it doesn't happen? When we talk about an outpouring of God's presence in our home, in our neighborhood, in our city, I don't know about you, but I, from time to time, get discouraged. God, we've been praying for the salvation of this neighbor for, for us, quite literally now, for 14 years. We've been praying for a movement in our neighborhood, and I'm seeing evidences of it. We've been praying for this thing to happen in Houston, but God, we want more. We want to hear more stories like Pastor Bradshaw's. We want to hear, see more miracles happening. We want to see more people repenting, truly repenting of their sins and coming in faith and following Jesus as Lord. 
What is it like for you? Like, what is in your life right now that you would love to see God do and you've been praying about it, but you're a little discouraged? If you keep looking to go, okay, oh, God, no clouds. I imagine that it's getting later in the day, but Elijah remains steadfast and he prays a fourth time, God, send rain. Is this going to be it? Nope, no clouds. He prays a fifth and a sixth time, God, send rain. As I'm reading this passage, I'm wondering why Elijah is continuing to pray. And it occurs to me that he continues to pray because he's so dissatisfied with the sin, the effects of sin. He has such a desire for people that are far from God to come to know the one true God. It's not just an alleviation of his own discomfort. He feels so much discontent knowing that these people are living unaware that Yahweh is God. And and we just can't miss this point, I think, that Elijah's motivation to remain persistent in prayer is not just for him. It is for a larger group of people. This is why he did not quit praying. What if God, during this time, stirred an even greater dissatisfaction in us that lost people would be saved, that saved people would be discipled? And for every church planter in this room, at one point that burned in you. But once you get your little critical mass of people and you're not worried about showing up and there not being anybody there, I really think it it starts to fade a little bit. But what if we became even more passionate about seeing the lost people all around us saved. What would we do about it? What Elijah did was he prayed. God, send rain. The helper comes back after Elijah prays this the seventh time, and we read these words. And I love this verse. The helper says, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And there it is. This little cloud, this little evidence that now's the time. And this is a moment we should not move on to from too quickly. And what I think what we have here is an early evidence of this greater move of God. And and can you imagine how this conversation could have gone differently? Like the helper comes back. Ah, Elijah. I mean, you're just sitting there. Here I am going back and forth and all I saw was a cloud. Can we just go back to the party? Can we just go back to our ordinary lives? But no, they see this early evidence of an outpouring of God. I'm not a prophet, nor would I claim to be one. 
I feel like some of what we're seeing right now in Houston is that cloud. And before even a drop falls to the earth, with only this small evidence that God is going to answer prayer, I love it, Elijah acts. He says, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. This little evidence of God's movement stirred in Elijah an even greater expectation for blessing. He didn't wait until this downpour, although he continued to pray for it and long for it. God gave him this little cloud, this little sign, and he started getting active. In verse 45, and in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And don't you know, sometimes the darkness prepares us for the outpouring. Of course, we would think about the cross. Luke chapter 24, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land for the sun stopped shining. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Darkness precedes the outpouring. We're back in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 45. And there was great rain. This outpouring of rain very much represented an outpouring of God's presence on the land. Without the rain, the people were dead. With the rain, there is life. Are you dissatisfied enough with what you see in your home, in your neighborhood, in our city, that you would commit yourself to humbling yourself before the Lord and remaining steadfast, persistent in prayer until you feel that first sprinkle. And then when the sprinkle's happening, we continue to pray, we continue to ask God, God, thank you, but we want more. We want more of you. We don't just want one neighbor saved. We want our whole block to come to Jesus. We don't just want our church to kind of grow in faith, but we want an outpouring of your presence on our church. And for some of you, you're, you're, for whatever reason, you pray and it doesn't quite work out like you thought, and then you just give up. And what I'm saying to you is that the God of the universe wants to do something in you, in your home, in your neighborhood, in, in this city, in a part of it, in a mysterious way, is us becoming really resilient in prayer. And, and don't, don't think for a second that I'm the kind of pastor that's really great at it. It's something that I'm fighting for myself. God Send rain. So let's ask God for that. I want to just give you an opportunity to think about where you want to see God work. You'll see around the room there are these sticky pads on the walls, and right below them are some markers. And we're just going to, as an act of worship, as an act of asking God, we're going to take some time and we're going to just begin to write on these pieces of paper where we want to see God work. God, where do we need your reign? Where are the dry places in our hearts, in our homes, in our neighborhood, and in our city? Where is it for you? 
I want you to think about it. Would you bow your head? Where is it that you want to see God move? You can start in your own heart. Maybe it's in your home. Where is it on your block? Among the lost people that you personally, not because you're a pastor, but because you're a follower of Jesus, the people in your life that don't know Jesus. Where do you want to see God work? Where do you want to see him God? Where do you want to see him work in your church? Where would you love to see God pour out his presence in your lifetime. So I'm going to say a prayer and then Ken's going to come up and continue to facilitate a time of prayer. But would you, would you be willing to do this? If you're able, would you get in a posture of humility? Could, could I just call you to get on your knees? begin to think about where are those places you want to God to work because in just a minute you're going to get up and you're going to walk to one of these yellow pages and write it down God Almighty I confess to you God that I'm, I feel some weariness in praying the kinds of prayers that I prayed in the early days of church planting I've seen evidences of your movement in my own home and in, on my block and in my neighborhood, but God, I really do long for more. God, we are on our knees, humbling ourselves before you like Elijah did all these years ago. We're asking God, Send the rain. Send the rain into our hearts. Send the rain into our homes and neighborhood and into our city. Send the rain, God. We know you can do it. We know that we are lost and incapable without you choosing to do it. Send the rain. So when you're ready to move from this posture of humility, would you 
stand up and move to, go to one of these yellow sheets and just begin as an act of worship, writing down where you want to see God move in our city. Would you do that? Just a few at a time, begin to move.